the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Why do I love FanDuel? Let me tell you. Because it's America's number one sportsbook. I like facts. I like knowing that they are number one in the space. There's also amazing odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, CBB, and so much more. It's also safe and secure and super quick payouts. You get your winnings delivered as quickly as two hours. It's amazing. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the sessions. So, last week when I had on Dax Harwood, you know, we had the conversation and I was like, man, you know, I would really love to interview Dax separately cash separately you know i feel like tag teams of course they get lumped in doing interviews together all the time and i was like man i really want to like split you guys apart and get to know more about you guys and like more about your story and thought that, that was a great idea and then i had dax on and i was like whoa what a conversation that was um you know i feel like so many people reached out to me after hearing that interview obviously of course to him as well it's his story but it was just one of those episodes that was like, man, to have a platform and have someone come on and be so vulnerable and be so honest. Those are the conversations that like I love to have, you know, as much as, you know, they're difficult subjects a lot of the time, but also sometimes those are the conversations that we do really need to be having. So I had the episode with Dax last week and, I, and then I was like, oh man, this is going to be tough to follow that one up with cash. What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? How do we do something really special? And then we sat down and started doing this interview. And honestly, I really didn't have that much stuff written down that I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what we're going to get into, but you know, I know them. We'll just have a conversation. Let's just press record and see what happens. This was one of those conversations that I thought about for days after we recorded it. I was thinking about him, uh, just thinking about the situations he's been through, thinking about, you know, he's a guy that like I know is just being like this great dude good mood, pleasure to be around, and would have never known what he comes from and what his story is. And I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. I had no idea where it was going to go. I mean, we start off the conversation talking about injuries and, you know, some of the freak accidents he's been through in his career. And then we took like a hard right and just really got into some stuff and um, just a great episode. It just stuck with me. It stuck with me, and I hope that it sticks with you, and I hope that you guys get that same takeaway from it that I did. Here he is. This is Cash Wheeler. How is mullet life treating you? It's been good. I, had to, I trimmed it a little bit. 
I just felt like it needed something to make it grow a little bit. It was, it was starting <laughs> you to, had to wilt. Get a little trim, get a little more full. Now it's feeling fresh, a little more life to it, so I can start the flow again. How do the ladies like the mullet? People love the mullet. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves the mullet. So it's because they they probably don't know what they're gonna get from you. They're like, "What's this guy gonna bring to the table? Um, is he gonna be like a little bit of a scumbag? Is he a little dangerous? What do I get from him?" The funny thing is, is that mullets run in my family. You're a generational mullet. I mean, I have a family photo if you if we have time for you to look that up. I have all the time for you to look that up. I would love nothing more than to see these mullets. It shouldn't be too far down the old Facebook profile. While you're looking that up, I'll just continue to ask you questions about the mullet. Um, when you went to the hairdressers and were like, I'm ready to commit to a mullet, did they try to talk you out of it? Did they lean into it? What happened? No. Uh, so I've been going to the same same barber for a couple of years down here. He's one of the maestros, um, but he his actual shop is like 10 minutes from my house. So I've been going to him forever. And it started out as just a burst fade to grow out some in the back just a little bit. Um, mostly because I have that scar back then. I get, I get tired of people asking me about it. So you don't want me to ask you about it? I don't like strangers asking me about it. But we were at a gas station one time after an NXT show in Fort Pierce. It's probably 2016 or so. And this guy behind me in line just starts touching the back of my head. Shut up. Oh, no, no. It happens constantly. Finger to scar. Yes. And so like Dax, this is the first time he's seen it happen. And he's like, hey, don't touch him (laughs) before I could even say anything. So I'm annoyed by it, but I'm used to it at this point because it's from a burn that I got. It's like two separate scars. One is a burn from an old wood stove that we had. I got too close to it in the morning and it just branded me. How old were you when that happened? Second grade. Oh my God. That must have been brutal. It was. Like it didn't even hurt that bad. It just. Because it was so bad that it didn't hurt. Yeah. It just Ugh. branded me. It was like, it was like a, the sear. I was like, ah, what? And then I thought my brother was messing with me when he started freaking out because he, like, I was the youngest brother. And I was just sure he was making me like freak out. And then my mom seen it and freaked out. And then I freaked out because if mom was freaking out, then it was real, you know? Yeah. The other one is actually like, it's just the line that comes out of the scar, but it's from, I got hit by like a, a wooden bat when I was a kid in a, in a fight. And I was beating up one kid and his brother hit me in the back of the head. So did you have it coming or this was like... No, it was two on one. It was like, they were our best friends growing up, but we lived right across from them. We'd always get in like childhood scuffles. Um, they were making fun of us, my brother, because he got in trouble. And I was like, shut up. And they kept doing it. So like, if you do it again, we're going to fight. And then the fight happened and his brother was getting beat up. So he was like, got to protect his brother. Kids are nuts. I remember something similar to that happened to my brother. We lived like our house backed into the woods. And I remember my brother came like hauling ass. We must have been like, God, he's probably like, I don't know, 12 or under. And my stepbrother at the time smoked him in the back of the head with, um, it's either like a stick of a shovel or like something like that. But this kid was like nuts. This like stepbrother, which is like super questionable, smoked my brother in the head. And my brother's like not a fighter. He's like pretty tame. Like I, I, he is definitely like a shit disturber, but not a fighter. So I don't really know what happened there. But yeah, I remember he came home and that was when I like first learned about like what concussions were. Because my mom's like, don't let him fall asleep. We've got to keep him awake. He got hit in the head. And 
anyways, yeah, it's like really scary when that stuff happens, especially when you're a kid. These kids were like our, we lived next to him for a couple of years and like I was the youngest and then his brother, there was one my age and then there was an older brother that was my older brother's age. So like we would always hang out and play and eventually like boys will be boys as they say. And like we'd get like after a couple of weeks of getting along, there'd be a fight. And so my brother was banned from the yard and that's why they were making fun of him. Like I could still come over and play, but he couldn't. We didn't know this at the time, but he was hiding in the woods this whole time. So like he, he saw them picking on me, like making fun of him. And like, like I told him it was going to like, we were going to fight. And then the fight happened. I'm fighting the younger brother, the one that's my age, the older one hits me. And then I'm just kind of dazed and like bloody. And I see my brother come out of the woods and just start like, going to town on this dude and i was like ray where were you at like like i said i didn't know he was hiding in the woods this whole time so it was just i mean it was wild and then now i just had like this crazy scar in the back of my head so anyway that's why i decided to grow the hair out a little bit in the back and then it just kept becoming like a i should grow a mullet now and i would joke about it and i would let it get a little bit longer and i'd be like nope trim it and finally i was just like let's do it i have nothing to lose i don't care I like the mullet lifestyle. I think it's great. The only thing I regret now is that it's becoming popular again. I wish I had done it a year or two ago when I joked about it, but I never had the guts to do it because I really have joked about it pretty much my entire life. If you see any of my family members, if I ever find this picture. So while we're talking about pictures of hair this morning, I was texted another picture of your hair from a mutual friend that we have as you were joining the Straight Edge Society. Phil, I guess, <laughs> sent you these pictures. <laughs> he did. Yeah, because he texted me. He's like, oh, I'm listening to the Dax episode. I was like, oh, I've got cash on today. And he's like, did you know he was a member of the Straight Edge Society? I was like, excuse me, what? And he sent me those photos. It happened on a random live event. It wasn't even televised. But they reached out like, hey, how long is your hair? And I was like, uh, not that long, honestly. I just had a cut recently. Like, okay, well, would you be willing to have it shaved? And I was like, uh, yeah, when? Like tomorrow in Carolina. And I was like, yeah, sure. So like, they want me to just dress up like I'm an ex, like I'm in the crowd. They put me front row. He comes out and him and Gallows do their thing. And I jump up and down, try to get noticed. And they come over, bring me into the ring and shave my head. Like, and Punk, obviously, again, I don't blame him because didn't remember it at all because I, I was a totally different person at that point. Like I didn't, wasn't known in wrestling at all. And I never really talk about it because I did so many damn extra spots that at some point I've probably been in an extra with somebody super famous that they don't remember. But Gallows remembered when I met him and he was like, I know you from somewhere. Did we shave your head? And this was like years later. I was like, yeah, great memory, dude. I'm surprised he remembers that. <laughs> I feel like his life is a blur. Great recall on him. <laughs> yeah. But when Deebs posted her picture the other day getting shaved, I was like, oh, man, I, for I should tell Punk about this because I don't think he remembers and I've never brought it up to him. And finally, I just sent him the pictures. And I don't can we cuss on this? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let loose. No fucking way. <laughs> He's like, why have you never told me about this? And I was like, yeah, when the time was right, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm oh a member of the gosh. Straight Edge Society. Uh, I was a paramedic for Mark Henry when he pulled the trucks. I was a cameraman when Mark Henry hit me with a chair. I was a bag boy for Cody. No way. Yeah, for Cody and Randy. I was the bag boy for their, it was like a last man standing match on SmackDown. And it was a fantastic match. So like for me, like I love watching both those guys anyway. So getting to watch that match 
live, like next to them and kind of hear how they, they were putting it together before I had any sort of TV experience. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So that was like a really cool learning experience. But like I said, I did a ton of extra spots. So How was that? Because Dax and I were talking about that, about how much yours and his paths would cross as you guys were both booked as extras a ton. Did you hit a point where you're like, I guess I'm just going to be an extra? When am I going to get my big break? Like, what's going to happen here? Or did it feel like you were getting so close? So there was a point where it was frustrating, but I'd also had a talk with Regal in, like, I want to say 2011. And he had told me, he was like, I'll, I'll help you get as much experience as you can. He's like, I'll put in words for you. Like, and he got me to England. He helped get me to Japan. He helped get me to Mexico. Like, and he helped me get to all these different places. And like, he would just kind of put out the word and put me in touch with somebody and then I could do the rest of it. But like, the fact that he would do that and he was like, whenever you think you're ready for a tryout, let us know. And he's like, otherwise, anytime we're around and you need the money or you want just to, to be the, like, get here for the experience and be seen, he's like, you got a free pass, basically. Anytime they were in the area or they needed somebody, I would drive to DC on a last minute notice, like just because I wanted, I wanted the experience and I wanted to get back there and kind of become involved. Well, it's such a different thing learning about the TV aspect of things, because when you don't know that and you're flung into it and trying to figure out where's hard camera, how do I know what the times are learning from taking the time cues from the ref and all that? Like, if you don't know, how else are you going to get that experience? I'd always wanted to be like Eddie and Dean and Regal and Fit and these guys that had been to all these different countries and they'd spent time there and they'd learned that style. And then, you know, went to WCW or WWF or whatever they chose at that time. Like I always wanted to learn all those things before I went. Like I wanted to be as good of a wrestler and know as much as I I could and see as much on my own without having my hand held, I guess. So how did you develop the relationship with Regal? Was he sort of like the first real notable guy to take you under his wing? So I think it was more from Adam and Ed, like, but I think Regal, like, had, he had taken a liking to me before because I was an extra. And it was before he really knew me. This before Adam knew you or Regal? I knew Adam a little bit, but we, we were just acquaintances at that point. I don't think he'd even seen me wrestle. So the first day, Regal introed all of us and told us what to expect. And the next, he was like, the next day, I want you guys ringside at this time, no matter what time. Like, if the ring's up or not, be here. Be ready to go. I remembered that. And I was like, okay, the next morning I was doing everything I could eating and all that before I got to the building so I could be ready to go change and get out there. And I got to the, the extra locker room and I'm getting changed. And the other guys like, Oh, we're going to go eat real quick. And I was like, you have like five minutes. Like Regal's waiting out there probably now. No, no, nah, it's the ring's not even up yet. And I was like, he said, it doesn't matter. They didn't care. They went and they ate. As soon as I walked out there, he was waiting. He looked at his watch and he was like, Oh, at least one of you listened. And Honestly, we sat there and we talked for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. The conversational Regal was like, look, he's like, I want, I want to help you get as much experience as you can. So if that's what you want to do, I can talk to some people. And I, I was like, please give me an email and I'll email them. Like just whatever you think will work. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports, well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. 
He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. Switching gears entirely, how's your arm doing? Um, so it's it's all right. Like it's it's weird looking. What a crazy freak accident. When it happened, I was like, that's not my arm. That hook is not in my arm. There's not a no way in hell. Like I'm just crazy right now. Because I initially thought like it it was pinched between some metal. Like because I fell and I kind of landed awkwardly laying on it. So I thought my body weight between like the turnbuckle and like the the ring post maybe was pinching it. I just remember thinking, ah, fuck. If you watch it back, you have to like turn in the volume up and know what you're looking for. But you can hear me yell, fuck. And then like I raised the arm up and that's when you could see the, the skin that was still like hooked to it. And then like I give it like a little tug and that's when like it, the hook yanks out and the blood sprays everywhere. And that's when I just start saying fuck really loud again. And that's when like Santana and Ortiz kind of noticed. And Dax, the poor guy is still like, his back's to it all, so he has no idea. If you see me on the apron, like I, I kneel down, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge how bad it is. I was like, that's a gaping hole in my arm. I'm gonna go see Doc now. What all could you see? When I looked up, the skin was still hooked like this, so I could see up the skin of the arm. Once the hook came out, I was like, oh, like I've just ripped out a whole chunk of it. I didn't know what it was. So once we got to the back, and Doc and all the guys were able to like get it cleaned out. They're like, you know. You got really lucky, and I did. Like all things considered, like the fact that it's here and not here, two inches more this way, whatever. That would obviously have been a, probably a real different story. That makes my stomach turn. Like it's so crazy how closely you can come to like life and death. Yeah, it's nuts. Daddy, live. I, I checked on her recently because I watched the clip from Elimination Chamber where her gear gets hung on it. Yes. And I was like, I hope that was just gear. Thank God it was just her, her gear. But like I would say now it's it's got most of the feeling back. It's just sometimes it like the grip strength is still weird. So I don't do like heavy deadlifts. I'm wouldn't anyway because I got a crappy old man back. But if I hit it just right or something happens, I get like a, like the warm tingly feeling. Like there's like ants crawling on it. Or like kind of like when your arm goes to sleep or just like a lightning bolt down the tips of the finger. But it, that's pretty rare at this point now. Like it's just not going to – I would say like – another couple of months, a year or something like that. The, all the nerves not fired back up, but it's just going to take a while. What was like the diagnosis? Just like a wound, like did it, and like obviously some nerve damage. Yeah. We did like the internal and external sutras and all that just to make sure that, but like there was nothing major, no ligaments or anything, I guess just a couple of some, some of the nerves and stuff like that. Did you go back to look at the hook to see what was left on it? Somebody sent a picture and there's like, you can see like the red tip on the hook and it's just, that's from the blood. Like, I've, I've gotten all kinds of like pretty crazy, like different views that people have sent me or tagged me in. I, there, I had a bunch of friends like ringside for it. My mom was there because it was in Charlotte. Oh no. Did she freak? Oh yeah. Like they all were freaking out. Like my childhood best friend Jay was there and he hadn't been to a wrestling show probably 20 years his text from it were really funny. He's like, bro, I saw the hook in your arm. I saw, I saw the skin stuck on it, but I just get the weird injuries. I get the, the jaw wires and the, the hooks in the arm. I can't just pull a ligament or something or sprain an ankle. When your jaw was wired shut, that was from the GTS, right? 
Yeah. Not from punk. He knows better. <laughs> he knows better. Um, from Kenta, obviously, he gave you the uh, the the go to sleep. But um, when your jaw was wired, did they give you things to cut it in case you freak out? Yeah. Did you freak out at all? So when they told me that, I did. Like, because they waited till I woke up from the surgery. So I'm like, I'm super drowsy. I remember like waking up and I'm like, okay, I'm wired shut. I have terrible sinuses too. So like, I'm like a bulldog. I can't breathe through my nose great. So I was like waking up, trying to breathe through my nose. That's my nightmare. I'm like, literally, I feel like I need to take a Xanax to have this conversation. I'm still groggy at this point too. And like, they're giving me like, here's some medicine for the next week or so. Here's this. Here's some wire cutters in case you vomit so you don't choke to death. And I was like, why would you tell me that right now? That's when I had like a bit of an anxiety attack for sure. Like I had to go to another room and lay down for a little bit and get drugged up. Holy shit <laughs> because they told me that when i wake up and i'm like yeah please don't tell me those things i'm gonna have this wire shut for two months my heart is in my throat right now imagining what that would be like i wouldn't wish wire like the broken jaw like the wire on anybody because go a full day without licking your lips go one day without sticking your tongue out of your mouth and then imagine doing that for eight weeks that's nuts. Yeah. Like I, I didn't even think of that. I just thought of like the claustrophobia aspect of it, but yeah, not being able to like, Oh my gosh. And then like the day they came off the jaw, like is kind of locked jaw. It's like, it takes like a week or so to get full range of motion back. It's like, I could barely lick my lips, but I remember doing this. <laughs> oh my God. I went straight to BurgerFi. I bought the smallest burger they had and I pressed it down like a pancake and I just nibbled it. What do you have? Do you just have to have smoothies and stuff all the time, that entire time? How much weight do you lose from that? Once I figured out like things I could blend up that had more carbs in it or like could nourish me a little bit more, like it wasn't bad. But the first 10 days, I lost like 15 pounds. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So like I would blend pizza. Like I found a cookbook, not a cookbook, but like a blend book of like I Googled things I could blend and there was a, a blog basically. <laughs> Blended pizza? Yeah. Like, so there was a, a blog of this lady that had broken her jaw. And she like, these are things that I found that worked for me that I could blend up and they would taste okay without like making you vomit. Even soups, like soups that I have to like, I would order like a hundred dollars worth of soups from O'Charlie's and like, I would keep it in the refrigerator and I would just, you have to blend it up, put more water into it because there's, it's too chunky. So you have to blend it all the way up. I had to go buy a magic bullet or whatever. One of those things that like, Blend it so fine that there's nothing left of it. So it doesn't get caught in my wires. Cause I always had like the Ace Ventura teeth with like, <laughs> just, is there something in my teeth? Always. Oh, it was, it was terrible. Oh my, you do get the freak accidents. That's crazy. And the GTS, it was the very last thing of the match anyway. Like I wasn't, I was coming in that uh, Kinshasa, Kinshasa to, to Dax and that was it, you know? So it was, no matter what, it was going to be the last thing that happened to me. And it just so happened to be the thing that put me in wires for Jesus. two months. So Kenta better sent you some nice presents. He did. He felt so bad about it. Like I had the video somewhere. I still might have it. But as soon as like it happens, like you can see I'm out on my feet. Like I'm like Frankenstein. And then I fall to my ass. And like that's as I'm falling, I'm kind of coming back too. And like I grab my mouth and I roll the apron. And he comes around the other side and he grabs me. He hugs me. And pulls me to the floor and he's saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, he felt so bad. Later in the video, you can see, like, he goes back in the ring to celebrate. And I pull myself up. I'm leaning on the apron. And I just go. And I start spitting out my back, too. Oh. 
And you can see on the video, the ref picks it up and he goes, that's your tooth. And I said, I know I'm, I'm very aware of oh it. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's like, I saw the, the trainer in the lobby and say, how's the jaw feel? And I was like, Oh, you know, it, it feels okay. And he's like, open up for me. And I was like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we're going to the emergency room. Holy. Knock on wood. Like I, I've been lucky otherwise. Like I haven't really had anything that's put me on the shelf for eight months, nine months, a year. So luckily I can keep that up. You mentioned your mom being ringside for the, uh, for the arm situation. What's your mom like? What's like your family? Like, I want to get into the deep throes of the family. Tell me about mama. So my mom's the sweetest, like, especially now, like in her, her older years, like she's always been pretty laid back for us, but like my family life, I don't, it's so all over the place. I don't know if I could even paint the picture of it. So my dad had me when, when he was 45. So he was already very up there at that point. My mom was 33. My dad had 13 children. Spread that seed. <laughs> so four of them were adopted. The rest of us, like I had th- two that were like same mom, same dad. The rest were half, but there were 13 of us. And I was the youngest of all of them. I got all the hand-me-downs. Someone sent me a picture the other day of me wearing the biggest sweater I've ever seen in my life. Like it engulfed me because I'm also way shorter than my brothers for whatever reason. Like my two full brothers, they're like six one and six two, and then I'm hanging out down here. So they don't even use their height, whatever. <laughs> no resentment. Yeah. For the most part, like by the time I was 13, they had all moved out. Like either my parents split up pretty young for me. My middle brother, Ray, went to live with my dad. Michael was at that point old enough to go live on his own. So it was just kind of me. Um, so it was you, you, it was you and your mom. Your one brother went to your dad's and your other brother had already moved out. Yes. That must have been hard separating from your siblings. I was always kind of different from my family. Like I was the youngest. So I don't know if it's just because I kind of got to watch everybody else make their mistakes. And I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Shouldn't do that. Like they would tell me I was adopted. And I'd be like, I, I hope so. Like kind of joking around. <laughs> yeah. Like Larry yeah. David thing where he gets super excited thinking he's adopted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that maybe, maybe there was a chance, but yeah. So I won't go too deep into it because we, it could take days, but like we didn't have any money. And my dad was an alcoholic for like the early years of my life. He got clean for the most part, like later him and my mom split up and she got with the, He's not my stepdad anymore, thank God. But he was just a gigantic alcoholic piece of shit. My parents weren't perfect by any means, but like I, I enjoyed my childhood for the most part. Like I wouldn't change any of it. Like we were poor. Like I don't remember a lot of it because we were young. But by the time we, I was five, we had moved like nine times because we just couldn't afford places and we just kept bouncing around. There was a point like where my dad had custody of us and we lived with my dad when from like a year or two, but he didn't have a real house. It's so like we didn't know like. But we, he had like this garage that he was a mechanic at the time. So he had a garage and we would just sleep at the garage. And like, we would just sleep in cars that he had, like he, he was working on. And like, we'd fight over who could sleep on the roller thing that rolled under the car. It's <laughs> like, <"Dibs." laughs> the dolly. Yeah. But like, we were basically like wildlife. Yeah. But great. Like we didn't really have, we could go. I, I remember being like six years old out on my own, riding around the town on my bike. Neither of my parents knew and no, like I would go back home and nobody even noticed so that kind of thing. Like not like they were absentee, but like they were just, they trusted us for the most part. It was a different time too. It definitely it was, was a different time where like 
you could get away with stuff like that a little more. I feel like this day and age, there's no way that would fly. But depending on like what the town is that you're growing up in, what that situation is like, it was a different time then. The population of my town was less than 800. It's like it was a small town, small town, like everybody knew everybody. It was and it was a very poor town. So like my brothers would put me down in the wishing well so I could take all people, all the people's money. Oh my God. They would lower me down in there. Like there's, it's still there in the middle of the town, like, but they would lower me down in there. And I would pocket some change, lift me back out while they kept watch. We had our food stamps too. Like, so we'd take our little food stamps over and buy candy. <laughs> Childhoods are fucking crazy, man. Like everyone goes through so much shit that you would have no idea. But like, here you are this like functioning adult man. That's like, you're fine. I'm kind of a functioning adult now, but at the time I was kind of like an angry kid. So like I dropped out of school, probably 11th, it was 11th grade. Like could have graduated if I had just stuck with it. Cause I, I did well in school, but I, I got in too much trouble. And there was like one really bad instance where my mom was like, I'm not letting you go back to school. I'm, I'm, she's like, I literally won't sign for you to go back. What happened? Do you want to talk about it or no? I won't go into great detail, but there was just a kid that, uh, was kind of bullying me like and he apologized years later like and I could have handled the situation way better too but like he said something that made fun of me and then like, he made a comment about my girlfriend at the time I told him I was like hey one of you now he said one more thing I'm gonna knock you out he said one more thing and I took my backpack straps off and I stood up and the teacher kind of got in between us and I just kind of just armed out of the way and cold cocked him <laughs> Oh, shit. He was going to press charges, or his parents were, the school was, and the teacher was. But the teacher kind of instigated it, and the kid that I punched, more power to him. He said, yeah, the teacher was kind of egging it on. I said some stuff, he told me, and I don't want to press charges. When he didn't press charges, and he told the principal what happened, like she got reprimanded. But it was a pretty big ordeal, and for a little while there, it looked like I was going to get triple sued, you know? So, so... My mom was like, yeah, it's not happening, not going back. And so I, I ended up getting a job like at 17 and just kind of rented a room from some friends. And that was it. Like, you know, I got my GED. I, I did my, my two years at a um, community college and I started working on my bachelor's, which I just kind of work on sporadically now because I'm not, I'm not in a big hurry to get it done. How much was wrestling like a thing that you really relied on during all of that stuff to, to just sort of distract? Without being cheesy, it was everything. Yeah. I mean, watching, you know, looking at guys like, I mean, I know you're obviously a big Bret Hart fan, but like, what was the stuff that, sorry, I'm not trying to make you emotional. <laughs> we actually joked about this before you came on. You're like, Don't make me cry. It was not my intention. I, I feel like I'm getting emotional now. You know, when you're a kid and you're going through that stuff and you have those distractions, you have the things to like keep you in line and like give you hope and like things to look forward to. It's, you, you know, when you think of wrestling and you doing the profession now, it's, it's really crazy to um, think of the effects that you have on people that are watching. Look at us all emotional. Fuck. I'm sorry. I made you cry. I didn't mean to. No, like it's good to talk about it, but I just never always knew like eventually I would, but I never was like, all right, I knew someday it would all like, I wanted to tell the story because I think, It'll help others, but obviously, big baby. I love when people are so passionate about the thing that they fucking love. It's crazy to me when people are just so passive about everything or people don't have that passion. That's not something that I can relate to. It's when people have that passion about something and for that to be a thing when you're going through some like real life shit and that was your escape. 
Covington, Masvidal. The rivalry will be renewed this Saturday night in FanDuel Sportsbook is making things even more exciting by offering new customers 30 to 1 odds on either fighter. That's right. You could win 150 bucks on a $5 bet. Just sign up for FanDuel Sportsbook using the promo code Renee. Pick your fighter and get ready to win big. For me, I'm leaning Masvidal on this one. Put my money on him. I don't know if I'm going to put down five bucks and make that one fitty. I got to do the math on this one and figure out what I'm looking to do. But here's what I love about FanDuel Sportsbook. I mean, it's quick. It's easy. It's also America's number one sportsbook. It's so quick to get started and you can withdraw your winnings in a snap. So don't miss your chance to cash in on one of the biggest fights of the year. Sign up for FanDuel Sportsbook using promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E today. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. New users only. $10 first deposit required. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bonus $150. Bonus for Tennessee users fulfilled in site credit within 72 hours. Tennessee's site credit expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Okay, I have a few more things that I want to get to with you. Um, I know we're like running out of time and I'm taking up your entire day. Um... Your when Bret Hart was going to the WWE Hall of Fame and that douchebag came running down the aisle and attacked him, what was going through your head during that? Watching it happen, I was like, this seems like something that would be a work, but there's no way that it is. Like, and then like you see everybody start to scramble and you're like, this is not good. And you know, I, I never go into too much detail on this just because I don't want to worry about it, but. I've said it before on Jericho's podcast. I think it was. If you if you watch the incident back, there was no security there. There were no police there. It was all just the boys. His hands were free, and he kept threatening everybody. And so, like, don't wait to find out. That's that's my motto. That was such a crazy moment. Uh, we were just talking about this not long ago because um, Graves and I were hosting Hall of Fame that year, and I remember we were like, the ring was in the middle. Obviously, the ring was in the middle of the um, arena. And I see the guy come like hauling ass down that like far aisle. It was like slow motion to me that I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to make it into the ring. This is happening. Like I could tell that it was not a work. I was like, this is just like a fan coming in. And like, thank God the guy didn't have a weapon. That's kind of what I mean by like his hands weren't restrained. We have him by the jacket and everything, but nobody has his hands. And he, he's still not cooperating. And he's still saying some wild shit. So like I said, my motto is don't wait to find out. I'm not going to just stand around and see what happens. I'm going to try to make sure that we get this the easiest way. So say whatever, but that guy was a douchebag, like you said, and should have never even been in that position. But I would, I would always do the same thing if I, if it came down to it again. That was so sad to like, see, I mean, this like beautiful moment for Brett with Natty in the ring. Yeah. Dedicating it to Jim, like being inducted to the hall of fame. And, he, and you know, and he, obviously he's not there to, to accept it. So Natty's there with her uncle 
to accept it. And then that guy does that. Thankfully, Brett didn't get hurt. He didn't have a weapon. Natty didn't get hurt. Everybody was okay, but it could have been so much worse. And that, that's scary. There, there was one security guard that was in the ring, but during the melee, I think he got like a rib crushed. I mean, all the boys jumped in at that point. I mean, you were in there like right away. Shane jumped in there right away. Like you guys. Travis was in there right away. Yeah. Oh, Travis got in there real quick. Holy shit. They all got in there quick. Yeah, that's right. That was the cool thing for me is just we watch out for our own. Like it doesn't matter like where we come from, what we believe or anything like that. It's just like we're all family and you see like somebody like that and everybody's instinct is just to, to get everybody to safety. And that's cool. Yeah, that was, oh my God, what a, I just can't believe that that happened. Between that and then like, you know, the the thing that happened with Seth not all that long ago either, like that was wild. I'm glad Seth was fine up to that because man, that guy had a clean shot at him too. Like luckily Seth has instincts like a puma and was able to at least somewhat counter it and get out of there. And again, same thing. It's like, thank God it wasn't worse than it was. Yes, thank God there's a weapon. Thank God there's no like hesitation like once he did get there people were able the refs were there quick i think it was eddie and danilo they were there in a heartbeat it's like good good on everybody like again like they don't know if there's weapons or not but they're there to take care of their own yeah it's like that instinct kicks in because it's like i mean you all become like family members so if if your instinct is not to just fly and like jump in on that situation like i you know like what are you doing yeah, in this day and age, you don't know who, who has weapons, who doesn't. So, like, for everybody's first instinct to be fight instead of flight, that, that shows you kind of what the wrestling community is at its core. Like, it's something where everybody can – it's like a brother system, brother sister. Like, you, you can pick on your own, but nobody else is going to pick on yours. Totally. I'll talk shit about my family, but you say something, you're out of here. My brothers beat the shit out of me religiously. Like, it was just a rite of passage, but anybody else said one thing – Watch out. Like my brother's running out of the woods that he's banned from to beat up the brother that hit me. (laughs) Siblings are the best. Hey, the other day you and I were talking and you were saying something about how you are the last wheeler to pass along the family name. Is this a pressure that you're feeling? Yeah, kind of now it is like 34. I'm the the youngest of all my dad's kids. So I'm the, the last one with the wheeler name that hasn't had kids. And the thing is, like, I'm sure I want kids someday, but I'm not even fully convinced of it yet. I'm 34. To be fair, I was not that person that was always like, I'm dying to have kids. I'm dying to be a mom. Like, I was not that woman. But I did start to get the itch. I would say like around like 33. I don't know if that was like my biological clock ticking, being like, bitch, you better get on it. But now having a baby and being a mom, like it really, I mean, as cheesy as it is, it's like that thing. You don't know it until you're like in it and you're like, holy shit, why did I do this fucking like 10 years ago? This is amazing. And I believe it because like I've been there with Dave through like his entire like Finley was just being born at this time and stuff like that. So like, I've got to see her grow up and I get to see how much they love every bit of it, even the stressful parts of it. Like, I believe that if I do have that, like, I'm, I'm going to love every minute of it and wonder why. But right now, I, I don't know if it's just something where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could go to a therapist and they could tell me tons of reasons why. But I worry too much about wrestling that I would feel bad about wanting to accomplish what I want to accomplish still and being gone more. Like, I think maybe for me, I would just feel like, I'm missing out on a lot and I'm, I would want to do that later. But I, I also kind of joked that my dad was 45. So I have 11 years to work with. 
Yeah, your biological clock is just fine. I'm just not hitting my prime. It's fine. I feel like everyone kind of hits their prime and hits their stride in like their mid 30s. Where like for a chick, if you're like, all right, I'm I'm doing it. Everything is great. My career's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Then you're like, oh my God, wait. Now I have to have my family. I've got to do all these things. And it, it does definitely like pumps the brakes on some things. Or you're like, oh my God, I'm trying to juggle everything of like, I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best wife. I want to keep my career going the best way that I can. There's some days I'm just like, I want to take a fucking nap so badly. (laughs) I'm so tired. It's so much work. Yeah. I see a lot of the, the girls now like that I've worked with that had babies and they're coming back. And I just can't imagine like the amount of work they have to put in to, to be a good mom, to be like successful at the top of the wrestling business too. Like I'll give, you, I'll give you ladies a round of applause. Especially the women that are like wrestling and like wrestling while breastfeeding and like all these things that like you don't even know until you're in it. And like once I went through that, I was like, how the fuck did you do that? I don't think I can do it at this point right now. I think I need a few more years to get there because right now I'm like, I got to brush my teeth again. <laughs> I know. In 12 hours. <laughs> I will say as a mom, there's days I'm like, did I brush my teeth this morning? Where am I at? (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like the amount of things you have to juggle in order to do what you guys do, like hats off to you because I can't do it. I'm still terrified of it. That's why I'm the name probably dies with me. (laughs) No, you'll do it. You'll do it. You'll do it. You'll get to it. Um, Okay. My final thing before I let you go, um, I would like to know what the status is of your friendship with Orville Peck. Are you guys still buddies? Is he still commenting on your photos? Where are we at? Because this is my fucking dream team. Still close, but I haven't talked to him as much lately because I feel like everybody just, especially like Orville's taking off nowadays. Yeah, it's huge. I love to see like the success he's had from the time that, I discovered him via your tweet to now, but like, yeah, we still keep in touch. Like he'll respond to a story. Or I'll respond to one of his or I was like, we wanted to use one of his songs for stadium stampede, but we just couldn't get it cleared in time to fight with Santana Ortiz. We were going to have that playing in the background. Oh man. I would have been so happy. We were working on that and it just like, he was all for it. It was like, we can do this. We can do this. And it just didn't work. One other time before that, we wanted to use it in the video package because Hangman's a big horrible fan also. So he wanted to use it in our video package to build up for me and Dave versus him and Kenny. What song were you guys going to use? So he wanted to use Small Town Boy um, for, for that one. I, I honestly, I wanted to use Buffalo Run for the fight scene in the, the stadium stampede bar scene. Man, that would have been amazing. That oh, would have no, been so I'm sorry. Cool. I'm going to decline this. Who's calling? I think my car is ready for pickup. Oh, good. Good. See, what a good way to kill some time, right? Great. Tell me about all of your emotions. I'm going to exhaust you for the day. I can say now that I could probably address it a little bit more. Like my stepdad, obviously, terrible part of my life. Hated him. Abusive to my mom. Like not just my mom, like me as well. So like that's something I never talked about. So like wrestling was the only escape. Like we would go, like I'd get home, drop my stuff off and leave the house. And that was because I didn't want to be around him. It's like you go, you go to the wrestling ring and you just wrestle. And then I would watch wrestling and I'd be like, I want to do that. And I would be like, all right, well, if I want to be a wrestler, I can't smoke cigarettes. If I want to be a wrestler, I can't go out and I got to take care of myself. Like, and I just like that kept me on the straight and narrow because there were times where a lot of my friends got on drugs and like a lot of my childhood friends now passed away from overdoses and stuff. I can't fathom the fact that they're gone now because of that. I got to watch wrestling with those guys. Like 
that's kind of what helped me get into it. Because when I didn't have cable and I'd stay at their house, we would watch wrestling. And that's how I got my wrestling fix. Knowing they're gone now because they went down the wrong path. Like, I wonder if wrestling didn't like keep me going forward. Cause I was like, I want to be a wrestler. I got it. I can't, can't smoke. Can't go hang out and do that. I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to drink. I didn't get drunk for the first time until I was like 23. Did being around alcoholics give you like a strange relationship with alcohol? Yeah, it still does. To this day, like I can, I can drink fine if I want to, but then like all of a sudden it'll just start turning my stomach. I can have one beer and it'll be fine. I can take a sip of another one. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Like it just makes me like the smell of it makes me sick. Like taking a sip of it makes me sick. And I think it's a mental thing for me. Addiction ran in my family. It runs in my family. I don't think I have an addictive personality, but I don't want to find out either. That can be like such a scary thing of like knowing like, is it it's like, wait, is that just like lying dormant and like waiting to like rear its ugly head at me one day? So it's like, I, I mean, it's, it's obviously so great to be aware of that stuff. I feel like it's like that healthy fear that keeps you on track rather than just going, fuck it. This is what my future is going to be. So I'm just going to lean into it. And that's kind of why I say I feel like I was always a little bit different because I was the youngest and I got to see those things. And I was like always kind of like more scared when I would see like somebody drunk and like acting stupid. I was like, why are they acting like this? So like when I got older, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But also, like I said, like wrestling made me like want to strive for more. Whereas like my dad was an addict. My I've had siblings that either are or were addicts. So like, you know, that was something that I've always had to deal with. Like, even though I've never been struggling with it myself, I watched them go down the wrong path and do the drugs that they shouldn't be doing and getting addicted and becoming like shells of themselves. And then I was like, you know what? I can't do that. If I want to be a wrestler, I can't even tempt fate and try it because if I am an addict, then I'm done for I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess great to be able to have that. It, it, not hindsight is 2020. You had like the foresight of like, this is not the path that I want to go down and could just completely steer clear of it. So kudos to you being that youngest child that could learn from other people's mistakes. Thanks to wrestling, though. Honestly, like I say it all the time. And it sounds cliche, but it did. I think it saved my life. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I have taken up like your whole day. I could keep talking to you all day, but um, this was a lot of fun. That's the first time I really delved into that aspect of it at any sort of like in-depth way. So hopefully that can help some other kid that wants to be a wrestler someday that doesn't have any money or doesn't really have the highest of hopes to, to look at every day. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that, too, is like, you know, when you're a kid and you think like, I don't have anything, I don't have fucking two pennies to rub together that you think that there's no way you can pull something like that off. But if you're determined enough, I mean, literally the story you told about wanting to be there to meet William Regal, it's that shit. It's knowing how to be respectful and to be prompt. You appreciate the things that you do have, the opportunities that you earn, like, you you know, that if you don't capitalize on it or make the most of it or give it your all that. You're going to be right back there. Like, and I said, it, I love the town that I'm from population 800. Like it never, it didn't it had one red light. It had parties and that was it. No name brand, anything, no malls. If wrestling didn't pan out, I would be, have, have my choice of all these other careers. It was, it was pretty destitute. So the town now, like is, you know, it's done well for itself and it's made a comeback because Asheville's gotten so popular. So it's kind of spread everything out to the surrounding towns. But at the time, no, like everything around here was just like kind of, it was a it was a factory town in industry like and all those left and when they left that was the job so to be able to go to old fort now and see that it's doing well but also to know like man i made it out and like now i can go back willingly and not because i didn't have a choice and i just accepted what was handed to me like i always said i never wanted to be a product of my environment i never wanted to use that as a crutch as to why i didn't succeed i didn't want to 
use my sob story to be like, this is why I didn't make it. Everybody was against me. Is everything around me? Like, no, like I knew that the odds were slim, but I also knew like they weren't impossible if I really wanted it. Like I just had to find a way. And thank God, like I did find a way for anybody else out there that wonders it's not going to be easy, but man, it's, I wouldn't change any of this for, like I said, my childhood at times, like it could be like, why me? Why me? But I wouldn't change one bit of it. Well, bud, it's been so fun having you on here. I really appreciate you. Thank you guys for letting me vent all that out. for the therapy set. <laughs> I'll send you the bill. You can Venmo me, PayPal, whatever you want to do. Paula's my account. She'll sign it and slobbering. Yeah, go smooch Paula for me. Uh, eventually, her and Blue will be in the same room. And uh, I guess go get your car. Bring to Orlando. I'm not going to be in Orlando. I I know I thought that I was going to, but I've got to go to Toronto. Uh, I'm doing a, a shoot up there next week. My hometown? So Come on. Down. You're going to my hometown? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell them that Brett Storm says hello. A big thank you to Cash for hanging out with me on this episode uh, to like really peel back that curtain, unpeel that onion. I hate that saying because onions, as much as I like onions, are like kind of gross. So like maybe like unpeel the petals of a flower. Is that a little bit nicer? (laughs) Is that like such a juxtaposition against this like heavy hitting masculine dude? That's what we do here. Um, Anyways, thank you to Cash for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. I hope that you guys loved this episode as much as I did. Um, I mean, there's nothing else to say. I'm not going to shill anything here for you guys. You know what to do. You know where to follow. You know where to subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys being a part of all of this um, from the sessions, the YouTube page, all that stuff. You guys are awesome. Um, And thanks to all the guests that keep bringing it. Everyone's like having these amazing conversations and I love that. Anyways, guys, I'm out of here. That's I've been rambling. Love you long time. This has been the sessions. 